Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Tolometti. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. Now, normally on our show, we interview graduate students to talk about their research and their life during grad school. But tonight we have a special episode where we're going to be talking with Connor Wilson from Engineering and asking him about his, his work and his his thoughts about grad school in the future. So how are you doing tonight, Connor? I'm doing great, you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell us about the uh, undergraduate program that you're in and uh, how you chose to get involved in that at Western? Uh, well, obviously, where to, where to start? I'm, t- I'm in my very final year, final semester of chemical engineering. And uh, so I started way back in 2015, and I did an internship in between my third and fourth year. But I guess how I actually got involved with it well, even Western is kind of a little story in, in itself, but I was definitely, it started with a burning passion for chemistry back in high school. I thought it was the absolute coolest course in the world. I wanted to figure out how every single molecule interacted with each other. And then once I got to university, it, I knew that I wanted to be an engineer. It just felt like the most natural path. And then Western, they do a, you do a common first year engineering, and then you decide what you want to specialize in in your second year. So you have, you have a little chance to decide whether you want to do a different stream like electrical, mechanical, chemical, mechatronics engineering. So coming in, I was dead set, dead set on chemical. But thankfully, there were enough good professors and unique experiences that actually made me second guess myself a little bit. Suddenly, there was mechanical engineering and software engineering suddenly tugging at the heartstrings saying, what do I want to do with my, like, do I really want to do chemistry now? Is that, do I actually want to, uh, change my path more to mechanical or this programming thing seems pretty cool but eventually I came to my senses and eventually went into chemical engineering. So your passion for chemistry in the end really kept you for chemical engineering? I'd say so. I, um, it's actually a little bit uh, interesting because whenever you ask when you're in that first year and you ask an upper year chemical engineering student you say I really am really passionate about chemistry. I love it. Please tell me there's a lot of chemistry and, and they say you're sorely mistaken. It's it's actually all math. And at the the first time you ever hear that, you just shake your head and say, There's no way. There's you're pulling my leg. But then you actually get into it and then lo and behold in your in your upper years you actually learn quite quickly that, oh, they're telling the truth. But having said that though, it it is all math, but it's it's fun math. What I would have thought that every single engineering course would have had like a huge component of it would have been math or mathematics in the end, but I'm guessing it just depends on what types of formulas they use. Uh, not necessarily just formulas, like it's more, it's more, I guess, um, so normally you think, when you think of chemistry, you think about your most basic reaction, taking an acid and a base, but uh, chemical engineering, it no longer becomes about, well, this one's an acid, this one's a base, they have different charges, they cancel each other out. That's the most basic form of science, but chemical engineering suddenly says, okay, now how can I take these empirical values and scale it up to the industrial size? Mm. Now suddenly you have to take into account, well, how much heat does that little reaction release? Suddenly it's no longer you can just hold it in a little in a little pot in your chemistry room. Suddenly it's when you have an industrial-sized reactor, now you have to think about, wait, is this thing going to blow up? Is it going to How much cooling do I need? And then what's going to be my outflow? And how toxic is the whole thing going to be? So suddenly you're using... The, you learn math. You learn mathematical equations to help you answer those more diffi- or those more interesting questions. If that makes a little bit, 
you know what I was I was thinking as you were saying you know answering the more I was thinking more practical questions actually and and one thing I kind of struggle with when I look across all the departments at schools and when I hear in the news talk about people getting like major uh, debt in lots of other countries here a little bit too uh, when they go to school and they get an undergraduate degree and then they find they can't do anything with it or they don't they they can't get a, get a job in that particular niche field and then the degree doesn't really have much value to them so they just get any other any old job they don't really need that degree for whereas this sounds very distinctly practical like they're saying okay you're going to learn this and you absolutely need to know this for this utility in some business somewhere um is it geared that way like or is that all of engineering or just chemical engineering no i'd say i'd say that's pretty much all of engineering but i guess uh, to comment on that that's that's actually how i first when you first start out that's when you think that, okay, I'm going to learn this exact task, I'm going to learn these courses so that I can be able to solve this exact problem. The only issue is that once, um, and actually when you go into the real world, like uh, I say real world, I mean I only had one year of internship or 16 months, um, but you actually learn that it's impossible to know everything. Is it? And then really all that engineering is arming you with is the absolute fundamentals and the absolute basics. It's impossible to know all the finer details. You could spend an entire lifetime specializing in one tiny little area, you know, whether it be um, creating plastics or whether it's natural gas, extracting oil, uh, creating pharmaceuticals. You could spend your entire career in there and still not know it all. So from an undergraduate degree perspective, it's really difficult. You could, I could spend four years just learning. We could have one pharmacology course after another and still, there's still be so much more to learn, but then you wouldn't be even touching the basics of what perhaps someone like a, what you need for the petroleum industry. So what they arm you with is just the very basic fundamentals, and then you actually learn the rest of it on the job. So I guess that is the big thing about the the 60 month internship that you got, and probably other engineering students get as well that you're given the fundamentals and the basics, the starting point, but you need to be put into a real position to realize there's still loads that you don't know but you need to use your basics to be able to figure it out and solve real world problems so touching on that though um what internship did you do like what company was it local or did you have to go quite far for it no actually so it's um in between london and windsor so it's a little town or it's not that little called chatham ontario i'm sure you guys have had guests from there before um, so it's just about 50,000 people, and that's where it used to be Union Gas, the natural gas company. So I did a 16-month internship there, and the official title was Construction Engineering Intern. And although it had the, uh, that title intern in it, it was, definitely, it was definitely a lot of responsibility associated with this one position. And I was very fortunate to have not only be on a really good team, but have the ability to work on some really cool projects. So... I guess the you might ask yourself what what on earth would a construction engineering intern do, or what would Enbridge or Union Gas now Enbridge Gas, uh, what would they need that for? And our group specialized in transmission natural gas pipeline. So you guys have probably seen when you're driving down the road, you've seen the large um, power lines, you know the big metal structures. They go from you know in Toronto they're running all over the place. Your radio sometimes gets a little crackly when you drive under them, but you probably heard somewhere that they carried a crazy amount of voltage because it's just trying to get electricity from where it's from one point to another. And actually natural gas has the same thing, but it just runs under the ground. 
and it's unless you really know where to look for them or if you have one in your backyard you don't you hardly even know that these exist and our group specialized on mostly doing integrity work on these big natural gas pipelines and even some putting some new ones in so i'm guessing that some of the projects that you got to manage was it having to look locate new areas where you could put new pipelines in not quite actually so i guess um putting in a brand new pipeline is like ridiculously expensive like you wouldn't even believe even a small eight inch eight inch pipeline um at high pressure it costs roughly around a million dollars a kilometer to put in so i I, my project the biggest one that i have wasn't even putting in a new pipeline or anything it was actually kind of funny that i used the um the power line example before is i don't know if you guys remember from physics where if you have an electrical current running through one wire and you have a wire close to it that it can induce a current in another little wire maybe maybe gavin <laughs> uh, vaguely vaguely maybe gavin i'm getting flashbacks to yeah. high school physics yeah <laughs> it would be because i was getting the same thing so the biggest project i was involved in was we actually had a pipeline that was running very close to one of these high-powered transmission lines and so it's actually there was so much voltage running through there that it was actually able to induce a current on our pipeline so my project was was to try and work with different contractors and actually make a solution to try and take some of that voltage off that pipeline because it can it can start causing a few problems Wait, are you taking the voltage off that just for safety reasons or you actually want to then use that as like, energy for somebody <laughs> you know what actually power the house nearby yeah you want that would be a that'd be a grand idea i never even no, we were only concerned really with the safety issues huh. because i mean if you could utilize it even if it were just one house you could say hey look you're quite near this thing and it's a safety thing, but we'll give you free electricity for your whole house forever if you just let us set up this thing and, and you're also helping with our safety. My goodness, that would be, I never even thought, oh, I'm just kicking myself in the foot, Aria. <laughs> Mind blown. I will give you this idea. It's noted on record here. You can say, hey, look, we talked about it. Why don't we go apply? That could yeah. be, it could be your opening pitch for an interview. Say, I have this great idea to make housing electricity oh, exactly. more sustainable. It's small, but it could lead to bigger things. You're welcome future. to take it. Uh, I'm, yeah. never gonna, I'm never going to utilize it. I'm nowhere near chemical engineering. <laughs> no, no. If, I'm sure if my mentor heard that, the guy who was, he would really help me out. He'd really help me grow as a project manager at this place. He would he'd be you know slapping me in the face and just like you're just making extra work for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but I, I guess uh, when I hear pipeline, my my mind was sort of biased towards the whole like sustainability environment picture because when you hear pipelines, for someone who's not engineering, the first thing you think of is the news about the controversy about the what was the access pipeline or whatever it was called that um, the one getting built in the west. Uh, I think or? it was like over like near BC and. There was like some controversy with like the Canadian government buying it when they probably shouldn't have, and I, I'm not really, not really privy to the whole thing. All I really know is, from the environmentalist point of view, pipeline bad. <laughs> like, no. I, what do you have to say about that? I don't know if you have uh, any input on it. No, absolutely. Well, so if I should, I guess I should say I'm like extremely biased. Well, not I do have a bias. With, I'm actually originally from Calgary, Alberta, so. It's, you know, it's... That just biases you yeah, generally. Exactly. <laughs> even, even if you have an open mind in Calgary, Alberta, you're still even... It's because everyone gets in the same mentality. Not Obviously, there's, you know, people who think differently. It's, we're not all redneck hicks who, you know, do whatnot with our cousins and horses. <laughs> 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 but um, I guess I, probably the biggest 
misconception about pipelines and, you know, take this with a grain of salt is that they're actually a lot safer than than other methods of getting liquids from one place to another, um, especially if you were to think about natural gas, you know, if you were to think about it, if we were to remove all the na existing natural gas pipelines in Ontario, and if you were to, there's a surprising amount, like just running all over the place. And if you were to think that, well, if we don't want pipelines anymore, well, how else would we get, what would be the alternative of getting natural gas from one place to another? And there's a, you know, there's something called liquid natural gas. It's a lot more dense. You have to keep it rather cold. But when you think about if you had to transport that by rail or you had to transport that by a truck, you know, suddenly you open yourself up for a couple, for more things to go wrong. That Suddenly now you have to deal with not only just the elements under the earth, but actually above ground as well. So I, I guess when you talk about building a brand new pipeline, Alberta is absolutely bent. They, they are so convinced that the whole world, the whole Canadian government is against them because we, we have all this pretty oil that we're sitting on and we can't get it to market boo-hoo-hoo. -hoo, so. and, yeah. and then that's their argument is that, well, we want to get it to some, from point A to point B. We might as well get it to point A to point B using the safest and most reliable method possible. And I think that's where at least for some of the pipeline companies feel the most frustration is from a hardcore capitalist perspective. If it's going to get, if you're going to be extracting it regardless of whether it's environmental or not, and that there's a demand for it, and there's an, if you can still make money on it to transport it to the ports in Vancouver or mm. even transporting it all the way um, to Toronto, Toronto or even further, that you might as well instead of transporting it by rail it would make more sense to but of course it doesn't when you factor in the environmental point of view it doesn't always it doesn't always come out on the table and I, I know that that's once again that's from a very biased Albertan perspective that's kind of how they feel a little bit I'm obviously also speaking for absolutely all about all, all Albertans well we won't, we'll, we'll hold your feet to the fire for that no. <laughs> yeah, appreciate your perspective um, you know everyone has an opinion on that and but uh, it's good to know that um, at least the pipes that exist are uh, relatively safe compared to like trucks and whatnot um, but maybe we'll you know step it back to <laughs> your internship and uh, how you did that is um, is that uh, a requisite for engineering degrees? Is everybody doing an in internship, or did you just take that on yourself? No, that's a great question. So it's actually not. It's it's totally it's completely voluntary. So you can choose if you have. I think you have to meet like a pretty minimum grade standard, and in, you have the option in between your the way that Western does it is you in between your third and fourth year, you sign up for the program. You pay like a little bit of money just for using the job board and the administrative fees, and then if you get it's kind of a little bit you're on your own you get to use the job board but once you get a job and then for 16 you can choose whether it's um there's eight month internships t like a 12 month or 16 month and empl some employers really enjoy really enjoy hiring engineering students from western and it's also not just limited to chemical engineering it's mechanical me mechatronics electrical and a lot it's a really popular option especially for the students that were in my year there's a lot of us people returning from internship so it was but it's a phenomenal opportunity because you get just you essentially as I said by the end of your 16 months you're treated as you were a normal employee and you get a really good insight to what does it actually mean to be an engineer or what is it like actually having an entry-level job 
And then also it's kind of funny bringing those experiences back to university and readjusting yourself to the to the student lifestyle and I'm sure the master's programs are the ex like just the exact same. It's different than the undergraduate. There's, it's it's suddenly, wait a minute. There's actually people. Professors aren't just glancing at my reports. They're, really, they're really digging into my re like. They're really actually looking at things. I think what's probably the most striking when I hear when people start grad school, is they whereas like in uh, undergrad frequently if it's course based you're just taking classes, you're provided a schedule, you go to here, you go to there, you're told your assignment is due X, Y, and Z, and you're, and, and it's the structure of what you're supposed to do is, is, is laid out. So you just do it. You do what you're supposed to do, and then you work as hard as you can to do the things you're told to do. Whereas grad school, not only are you working hard to do what you're, you know, do what you're doing, you also have to decide what to do. You have to, to, you have to lay out the structure yourself. And then the, the responsibility that comes with that is not only if you not only can you get you know a little bit of flack from your supervisor and advisors and granting agencies <laughs> like you can, not only can you get uh, you know potentially in some hot water if you mess up any particular task you were into, but if you hadn't chosen the right task to do, then that's even worse. <laughs> it's like well then not only did you do the wrong, you did what you were intending to do wrong. You didn't do the right things at all and then that can be a big issue so people come in and they go like well what am i supposed to do next no no, no. <laughs> that's actually up to you now and <laughs> people are really really taken aback by that at least i've seen a lot of people kind of struggle with that in first first couple semesters of their uh, grad school experience yeah, what do you a, think of that Grant? it's definitely a wake-up call i would say um when you because as you said so used to a schedule but then when it's taken away and you have to build it from the ground up you still don't know, like, is my schedule too busy? Is it not busy? Is this deadline reasonable? Or am I giving myself too much time? Am I slacking? Am I overdoing the? It just is endless mm. uh, after that. And it sometimes depends on, as your supervisor, like, certain deadlines set. Are they more lenient? Are they stricter? Do they like you to be in from 9 to 5? Do they not really care when you're in as long as the work gets done? Mm. You have to figure all of this out on your own. And then you also have to you get used to... Definitely comes to traveling for conferences and other research purposes. A majority of the time, you're you are on your own with that, with funding aside, where you can rely on that. But like booking, logistics, you learn from that as well. Yeah, no, so it's, it's, it takes on a lot, a lot of responsibility. So you uh, you had mentioned before that you'd mentioned before the interview that you were interested in going to grad school. Can you tell us, uh, you know, how did you come to that decision, and and what what grad school are you looking at in particular? Well, actually, I guess uh, when I was actually on an internship, I remember I, I loved asking, you know, questions. It was, I was, you know, you got to kind of have that undying curiosity. It was a really good way to get around. But one of the, one of my more favorite people to work with, um, I was at, we were playing golf after, um, after work one day. And then I asked him, you know, if you were to go back to my age and, you know, do it over or change something, what would you change? And he said he kind of got he did a long-winded answer and he said when he was working at um you know this company that he could tell the people that had been working there their entire careers that you kind of get that a little bit that one track mind but he said you it was noticeable when people you could tell that people came from other companies they'd have other ways and other experiences of doing things but he said i wish i would have taken that to the next level i wish i would have worked in a different country so I kind of took that little nugget. I really, it kind of just simmered in the back of my mind. 
so the whole time I was doing the rest of my internship and when I came back to school I kind of I didn't really know how to what to do with that thought because I knew that you know it's obviously possible to find an entry-level position in a different country but you suddenly you're not only competing with people who grad like with other graduates but you're competing with graduates from that country and why on earth would a company go through the extra paperwork the visa trouble just to take you on when they could just hire some a chemical engineer who graduated from a Fran from a French university or from a Australian university or wherever so um, so I was kind of torn because I I really wanted to see the world and and then it wasn't until I took one course and then I and then uh, also my girlfriend was really looking into doing a master's program as well she's very interested in the food industry and even this thing called like a program called perfume engineering so I was wow she's like you know that's really smart like oh man what am I gonna do with my <laughs> it's like okay I can't find a job but oh that sounds really cool so and then I remember actually asking one of my professors he's French himself but he's been studying in Canada and he had a really cool course on green fuels and I was talking to him about what the scene was like in for uh, you know for getting a job in France and he said have you ever thought about getting your master's at all or he, and he so he recommended me to a school it's called IFP school it was made in the late it was made in the fifth, uh, 1950s and it's exclusively a grad school and so it was it the only kind of downside is it is only oil and gas it has a really oil and gas heavy focus but which is the, the resume and where I'm from kind of lend itself a little bit, but I was kind of hoping it had a little bit more. Um, so this IFP school is, it just, uh, it kind of matched with what I wanted to do. I really, I do want to further myself and I do want to improve, but I also really want to see a new country. And so it's mm. right on just the outskirts of Paris. So, you know, I, I, I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, how does one, get encouraged to go to grad school like who who do they who do they hear from um, and how do you get that idea and now basically answered that question without asking you're you know what you you were initially suggested by a professor and I feel like uh, professors who teach undergrad I mean they're within the academic field so they're semi-biased because they're within academia already um, so that's where the that's where the uh, you know the motivation comes to encourage people to go to grad, graduate, graduate school. Uh, what about the other way? Uh, has anyone been telling you and motivating you to not go to graduate school? And <laughs> I don't know if you, it sounds like you, you really enjoyed your internship, which was, you know, work and you were discussing different work opportunities. Uh, even when you were like <laughs> thinking about grad school, it's kind of now actually just an alternative job, really. I mean, it is work as a grad student, nonetheless. Um, but has anyone been telling you not to go to grad school? And I don't know, where are you getting these different motivations for that? Well, I'd say it's kind of funny. Like the, so actually both my, so both my parents, like I guess kind of a long-winded answer is both my parents are physicians. And then the people who convinced me the most not to go to medical school are, were, <laughs> were them. Like it's oh. people who are actually, um, I guess kind of uh, some of my really good friends, the people who introduced me to um, like when I went to, the it was the the dinner you guys host or the trivia you guys hosted right yeah and I was going with them and they they're so good friends of mine and um it's uh they're both one of them is in their PhD doing their PhD in chemical engineering and another one's doing their masters 
So they kind of, you know, like, they would never tell you no, but at the same time, they, they're just like, ah, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it definitely you could see that it's wearing on them. They give you the reality check they, they about do. it. They yeah. do. But I'd say probably the most, the number one was probably myself at first, because, you know, once I got, I was pretty frustrated coming back from internship, coming back to school. Um, I guess mostly because you can attest to this and probably in grad school, just thinking about the difference is um, when you're when you when you're working or when you're in grad school, there's no such thing or the a 75 percent kind of disappears a little bit. It's either it's complete or it's not really complete. Like, I guess I, I know that's kind of a weird <laughs> kind of say. Sorry, what do you mean? What yeah. what was complete? Yeah. So <laughs> like your, job, so your work, your, your job or a project. So, oh, okay. for, for example, oh, if I was to have an isolation plan, so it's we're going to you know cut out a piece of pipe and it needs to, we need to make sure that there's no gas in the pipeline in real life there's no such thing as a 75 percent like well you've got 75 percent of your isolation correct but the second we cut it open you've missed a valve or you missed something and that that could be someone's life on the line or you know yeah you got most of the way done that project but there's still a hole in someone's property so you still have to go back and fix it and i, I imagine that graduate school is it's like, wow, professor, I finished most of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I think it especially comes up when you have some grad students that take on, like, not just their main research, but also side projects. And when you have multiple things happening at once, instead of getting one thing done at a time, reality is that you're slowly chipping away at everything at once. And for a while, it doesn't feel like anything's getting done, but you're slowly building it up to a point where you'll just have a bunch of things done at once. But you have to push yourself to keep going to eventually get to that end goal but I would say that sometimes you're writing things you're like this isn't a hundred percent but it will do the job just now yeah I wouldn't say we get like we get the like um the binary like it's done or it's not done in uh, that much in grad school but I think that might be might be dependent a little bit on what you're doing in grad school as well um, so I can, I can imagine with an engineering project it's kind of like what can you do with an engineering project because it is like it's making something <laughs> that's what kind of all of all of sound kind of sounds like each type of engineering is making different types of things different modalities to make um whereas you know i'm in you know neuro neurobiology and gavin's studying earth science earth sciences yeah. earth sciences we may like discover something partially we'll be like well we now have some evidence that flies memory gets worse when they're older but i can't say a hundred percent so this warrants more study <laughs> like yep. so i haven't like so i haven't <laughs> i haven't finished yeah. uh, <laughs> like i haven't been like we're done <laughs> we pretty much open the next door for yeah. the next person to take on the yeah journey. yeah so, so i don't know if you get the, that close you might not get the closure you want from grad school per se but uh, i still say it's worth it <laughs> yeah this is what happens when you invite undergrads onto the podcast I'm, i learned something new though yeah i guess i guess that it was would be something that so like that's I guess a little bit more tough and so and obviously some jobs is I, I definitely understand what you mean is that you get really close and then but I couldn't even imagine like actually contributing to science like you guys are like that well, is man you could man there's no there's no reason you couldn't I would say <laughs> <laughs> imagine more you can you will be able to um that's cool so you were thinking about going overseas sounds like you were saying France in particular was a focus um, to do grad school and not and that's kind of like being your like main thing you're looking at right now okay um, 
You know, uh, another thing you'd mentioned before the interview that you do that I thought would be really cool to touch on. Can't think of a particular way to segue it in, but I want to talk about it because I think it's cool and it relates to your chemical engineering. Just throw it in. Just throw it in. (laughs) Your uh, club you're involved in and your beer that you make. Tell us about these two things and how maybe this relates to your chemical engineering. Yes, I love shameless (laughs) plugs. No. Um, So I guess... So I'm, uh, this year I've been really heavily involved in, uh, it's like, I guess for short chem club, but it's kind of, you know, if you find it, if you're looking for it on Facebook, it's like the Western chemical engineering club. Uh, I guess the, it's to put it shortly is a glorified fraternity, but <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I guess, uh, the biggest, still have initiations and everything. No, <laughs> goodness, have goodness gracious. No, it's, uh, so I guess what chem club is, is it's an extracurricular club and it tries to create. Uh, an environment for an extracurricular environment for chemical engineering students, a fun environment, and just mostly a, re- a resource that people to, uh, people can come to, students can learn, and especially they can ask upper year students. They can get help with finding out be- because when I was in, you know, when I was first starting, I had no clue that there was even an internship program. Or I know plenty of people who've been involved with NSERT. They've done summer programs. They've actually gone like uh, some people have already been accepted for. They've already got their masters lined up and everything, but it's how do you start figuring out stuff like that? And so it's just really creating a community around chemical engineering so that current students can learn more about it. And then I guess I'd consider it one of the more classic chemical engineering hobbies is brewing beer because in engineering, they make you do all kinds of labs. And when you're an undergraduate, you know, scum of the, like you're kind of scummy. And whenever you do a lab and you don't get the result you want, you kind of, oh, I didn't, oh, geez, I didn't get the result I wanted. Oh, I'll write about it in my lab report. whoop de doo But suddenly once you, uh, when you're actually brewing beer, it becomes a real, uh, becomes a more of a, it's still a lab in itself because you have your experiment, you have all your ingredients, you put it together, but then you t- start tasting it. And then if it's not exactly what you want it to be, then now you're going back and you're looking at your methods and you're saying, what did I do wrong? Or how could I make this better? And so it's actually, and then uh, to read the how to get started and brewing and whatnot, some people say it's the beginner's guide, but really it was a pretty advanced textbook. And even with after, you know, the vast majority of a chemical engineering degree, there were some concepts that even I struggled to fully grasp. So it's it's uh, not directly affiliated with the chem club, but it's a, a very closely affiliated offshoot. And it's just really a good way for just for students to get together and then for, uh, I like to call it political functions, you know, discuss, <laughs> discuss and also, and also just really appreciate the degree that you've, you're in right now, discuss different topics and I guess also opportunities as well. Cool. I mean, those both sound like uh, really involved and fun <laughs> events and activities to be involved in. Um, hopefully you continue to do that in whatever grad student or or career, you know, work thing you got to get involved in. It's good to stay social. <laughs> and you <laughs> no, can forget so... that when you get your head in the, into the weeds there. I mean, you could start a brewing club maybe in Fran- in the university oh, in France. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Find the right people out there. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be someone. All right. So uh, that sounds great. And uh, unfortunately, we are just about out of time. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on, Connor. Uh, but if anyone wants to learn more about... Uh, 
more about the Chem Club, Beer Brewing, and your work and your internship, but where could they find you? So um, I guess the best way to get a hold of me right now is the Western Chemical Engineering Club. Uh, it's a Facebook page, so if you just type that in, um, and if you follow the page, send a message. It'll be me on the other end, most likely. And the, uh, there's also a Facebook page for the Western uh, Brew Crew, uh, brew, brew Team, I guess. So if you search up Western Brew Team, you'll see a picture. You can't really miss it. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger on the front, and he's got a stein in his hand. So pretty hard to miss. I can't thank you guys enough, though, for having me on your show. I know that, as you said, it's normally for grad students, but I really appreciate the opportunity, you guys. Yeah, it was great having you on. Thank you very much. So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin Tolometti, and my co-host was Ariel Frame, and we've been speaking with Connor Wilson, and this episode was produced by Ariel Frame. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.